0: Kevin Pruitt with Rising Tide Startups and my guest today is Nick Petros. Nick, thanks for joining us all the way from South Florida. Great to be here. So tell Rising Tide listeners a little bit about Nick Petros.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So I've done startups for the first eight years of my career. Um, Got started in e-commerce, was actually there for an acquisition and got the startup bug from that. Um, I had no idea that you could sell companies. I thought, uh, when you went into business you stayed with the same company for your whole life that's what my parents did uh, that's what I assumed I was supposed to do um, but jumped from company to company raised a bunch of money for the second one uh, ran a big fintech launch um, got hired to lead growth for the third uh, which wound up being the, the largest and fastest growing of its category ever um, and then started consulting um, because it was so much fun i Wanted to work on, you know, ten or twelve different startups at the same time, and now we've got eighteen. So exposed to a lot of businesses, I've probably made every single mistake (laughs) in the book, um, which I wear as a badge of honor because I won't make them again. Uh, And uh, and love building things. That's kind of me.
0: Well, it's amazing if, if you actually can stick to that, uh, that life mantra that says, I will not make the same mistake twice, because I, I'm afraid the mere mortals like myself, we tend to repeat mistakes over and over and over again. So it, I I would love to be able to stick to that. But so dive a little deeper. So give us a little background, like where you're from, education, yeah. background, family. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah, paint yeah. the so full first, picture. So I, I
1: grew up in Rhode Island, um, the massive state in the Northeast. Yeah. One big city, and
0: not it? It's Providence and then all its suburbs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so Providence, great food. Um, Rhode Island, great boating and great food. Um, uh, went to school to sail. Um, wound up not, not sailing when I got to school. Uh, majored in social science and Spanish. Um, I wanted to be a copywriter when I graduated, but I uh, got out of school in 2009 and I had um, not a very impressive transcript and no advertising experience, and no one would hire me. Um, So I finally landed a a sales job at that e-commerce startup and um, convinced the head of uh, acquisition marketing to bring me onto his team after about six months, um, and absolutely fell in love with it, uh, which my my parents and brothers still refuse to believe because it's all math-based. But I'm the worst math student in the history of the world. but but crushed it. I mean, we we built a five million dollar revenue channel in eight months, um, basically from scratch. Uh, put the company in a good place, and it became kind of addictive. It was like like video games, not work. Make the charts go up.
0: Absolutely. So so, what was the specific industry that you were in with e-commerce?
1: Yeah. So that
0: was a daily deal site. Okay.
1: But, um, yeah. So it was back so like in the
0: Groupon news, meets. Yeah. yeah okay. Meets it, it was just like GPC Groupon or, or something. There. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It was. It was that same time. Um, That whole company was amazing. Like I was a fourth guy in the sales team, and they managed to grow to, I think it was like a hundred people there uh, a year and a half after I started. And just seeing the way they grew, how fast they grew, how smart the people around us were, um, it's kind of addictive when you realize you can move that fast in something you don't want to slow down.
0: It's like going to work every day in a startup documentary.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, cool so, office, a lot of young people. That's
0: lots of brick, lots of exposed brick, and and you know <laughs> nobody has yeah, an office. Yeah. You're all out in the, kind of a common area, and yeah. great coffee. Yeah, <laughs> all the above. Yeah. So so kind of transitions from that. So that was was that in Boston, or was that a, the Boston area that? Yeah, you, yeah. So working?
1: north north of Boston, I was in Wakefield. Um, I uh, I then went to work for a company downtown uh, Boston on Newbury Street. That was a fintech company um Alternative payments—that was really cool—and I wound up running their consumer-facing launch. Um, fun fact: I was actually in Boston for what we call Snowmageddon, um, my first full year there. We got, down, I think, 102 inches of snow wow. in the winter, uh, which is fun walking downtown with snow piles like taller than yeah, your head. That's incredible. Uh, so I was right in the city for that, um, and then went out to Watertown for um, for a vertical social network. Um, and what, was there for I think four four and a half years. Um, that was my longest stint before consulting started. And now it's project to project to project.
0: So the consulting thing—did you start that on your own, or did you start with somebody, or were you working for a consulting firm, or how did that how did that start?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so it um, it was kind of backwards actually. I, I left and. Uh, against the advice, this is me making every mistake in the book, um, every, everyone told me to bring on a team. They told me not to try to do things myself, and I'm stubborn, so I decided to do it myself. Um, took on uh, two projects at the same time. So two different companies wanted me full-time, but I took them both as uh, contracting relationships and quickly got overwhelmed. Um, and wound up bringing in contractors to help support little pieces of the work mm-hmm. we were doing. No, I started consulting on my own. Um, it blossomed into its own thing because we kept getting so much work, and I kept hiring uh, contractors that we wound up organizing into a team and bringing folks on full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, it's something, it's something different. We wanted to just do the digital marketing thing, but one, we're not that good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're good at um, designing like ecosystems for businesses to grow into. Right. Um, we actually, we work with, I can't name them, but uh, we work with two of the, the best digital marketing firms in the country um, at least from my perspective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but what we do is it's, it's ecosystem building. So um, a business wants to grow, they can advertise to grow, they can hire a bigger sales team to grow um, or they can do what we do and, and look at what they're selling and, you know, usually businesses are focused in one like key niche area that they scale really well and execute against right. really well, um, and they can maybe you know with us find a new area or a new persona um, or or a new way to position what they're doing um, that doesn't really require them to make infrastructure changes, but opens up a whole world of new opportunity uh, and is de-risk because they have us as this nomad team going after it that's relatively low overhead and low risk because sure. we can be shut off.
0: Um, yeah. And very agile, able yeah. to able to pivot and and kind of on a dime. So, did yeah. you did you uh, one question that that came to mind as you were talking? I mean, did you did you come to a point where you almost saw yourself as unemployable? You know, you thought uh, I'm going to have to kind of do this on my own because I I'm or I'll have a tendency to change jobs every 12 to 18 months or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I was, you know. To answer it the other way, I, I'm kind of like the the bane of business leaders existence when I'm in-house because I'm always trying to push us into something new. Uh, and I'm very passionate about the things that I think are right. That's probably yep. why I make so many mistakes. I really want to try and I want to try now. Um, but I was always the guy saying, hey, like this is working. Here's our feedback. Let's iterate the whole business to address that feedback.
2: Mm. And
1: that's where the consulting firm came from because... So- there's um, you know, this, is, this story, this is from home back in Rhode Island, um, family related. We had, uh, we had this Irish Terrier growing up, um, and he was obsessive compulsive. <laughs> uh, we had this, this big backyard with stone walls going around the yard, and um, his name was Sparky. Um, and he used to, like every time he'd see something in the yard, he'd flip out like a normal dog, except he was obsessive compulsive. Um, so there was a gap like a, like a farm gap in the wall to the right. And he had to run through that gap before he'd go investigate whatever he saw in the yard. Uh, and there'd literally be times where, you know, he'd flip out, we'd open the door, and there'd be like a deer or a cat or something in the middle of the yard. And he'd run screaming by the cat, looking at it straight to the gap in the wall. And then he'd be able to circle around and check out the cat. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think that's the way um, a lot of businesses operate. Like they have their niche. And they crush it, and their sales team's predictable, and their quarterly goals are hit. So they don't step outside of that. Because if they do, things get uncertain and there's risk. Um, and that's where what we're doing can be super valuable because we're nutty and we don't have to go to the wall. We can, right. We can venture right into the middle of it and see what happens.
0: And I mean, you're not bringing baggage into the equation. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, you can, yeah. you're, you're seeing it from a fresh set of eyes, a fresh perspective, yeah. you know, that they, that it's hard for them to get out of their own way sometimes because of, yeah. you know, their history and, and like I said, baggage, but so if you and I are jumping on an elevator, we're going to go up 10 stories in the next, say we've got 30 seconds to get there. Give me your elevator pitch on your services.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're a de way uh, to increase sales uh, and drive more revenue for your business. Uh, by opening up either new market categories or sales channels into new personas for your business. That's uh, that's our light speed pitch for 10 stories.
0: So how, what's the de-risk part of it?
1: Well, we're not, um, we're not headcount. Um, we're not making you marry us for, you know, seven months, eight months. Um, Project start at three. Um, we can usually demonstrate some kind of traction inside of that window. Um, and the way that the team is structured, I mean, there's, there's 42 hands we can put to work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we operate as an agile team, kind of like a software development team. Um, so we can put like six or seven people on a project to get it going and get it moving. Um, and then once it's stable, pare down to maintain and, and operate and scale, uh, which just makes us like real cheap, real efficient, um, low risk. Because if we're not working, you can shut us off um, and high opportunity because you, know, you don't know what's out there until you try it, right?
0: It's kind of like consulting sprint meets hackathon weekend. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we have, um, we just took on a client, um, unbelievable company, super successful. Um, and we were running through their numbers and we have, a, you know, they're, they're a software company uh, and they can, they can sell virtually. And we have a professional services firm, um, in-person brick and mortar uh, organization uh, in a small geographic area. Um, that's spending a third of what the software company is spending uh, for, for customers that are, what are they? 27 times as valuable. Wow! Um, so we're talking tens of thousands of dollars per customer for the, the brick and mortar versus the software company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's just cause the same old, same old, like they started 10 years ago, they had a niche, they yep. stuck with that. And today everyone's doing what they're doing. Exactly. Uh, so just by sidestepping, we can create a lot of upside for them.
0: So, tell me the so when when was this transition? When did you transition from you know into the consulting side of things and kind of go out on your own?
1: Yeah. Um, so we're in house uh, at the network. Um, we so many startups uh, start with vanity metrics because you need to put up some flashy slides and
0: yeah and have a dashboard go in there for yeah to pump R- up the team. Raise, raise
1: your money. <laughs> and we, we had it. We had it on the wall. We had a huge 60 inch TV with, our (laughs) Um, you know, made us feel important every day. But like every startup at some point, you got to make money. You got to stop raising and start making money. Um, And that was a bit of a mad sprint. And it it took a lot of my focus away from the top line growth and, Mm. um, and pushed it into like, how do we drive revenue and turn this into uh, a real viable business? Um, And what was really fun about that was after understanding what the core product was and the, the value of the core product. Uh, To business, translating it externally and turning it into revenue is fairly simple, um, because we understood the values; they were our values, uh, and explaining how leaning on us to drive that value to external customers is dramatically simplified. Um, So, after doing that for like a year and a half, we had some pretty solid success, Um, and it was my role had become more of a consulting type role, uh, even though I was in house. Um, So, it was kind of one of those: okay, there's two opportunities I can take on. I'm already kind of doing this in house. So I think I can do it on my own. Um, let's, let's give it a whirl and see how it goes.
0: And, and that then. was how long ago? Uh,
1: 2017 November officially.
0: Okay. So you're you're coming up on two years full yeah. time. So yeah. give me kind of the, one of the biggest lessons or one, maybe one of the biggest hurdles you've overcome or, or, oh, yeah. you know, aha moments in that, in that two year period.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so About the time I realized that we weren't going to be a digital marketing agency because we weren't as good as the other guys. Um, I I realized that um, protecting your bottom line is really important. Um, I took on, I think we had uh, 24 people uh, by March uh, of 2018. Wow. uh, Which is way too big and everyone was on more or less a fixed salary. It wasn't indexed to the work they were
0: doing. That's explosive Um, growth.
1: Well, yeah, it's a lot Most, of growth.
0: Yeah, for a small startup, that's, that's a lot of growth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm great to international contractors, so
1: the headcount cost wasn't great. But um, for me, it was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, our, our revenue could kind of barely support it. Uh, so we forced ourselves into this situation where we had to like, make cuts or address or take on work just to sustain the team. Right. Um, which really took focus off of the quality of work um and and forced focus into like areas of growth and sales that didn't make sense um you know said said more practically i think anyone starting a business or trying to generate revenue looks for the low-hanging fruit mm-hmm. um and the big lesson well in addition to not hiring too many people the big lesson for me was the low-hanging fruit isn't often the most valuable fruit you know finding people who want to sign a contract or a retainer tomorrow you know, comes with a lot of baggage. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why they're ready. They've been burned before, uh, or they've been unbearable to work with for someone else and they're desperate. Um, you know, that creates more headaches than it's worth. And I, I put myself into a situation where it was that guy mm-hmm. and I was taking right. out of work from that guy. Um, which which wasn't a lot of fun. But I had to make the mistake to learn the lesson. So
0: <laughs> well I mean I'm having trouble kind of framing this this question but as you were talking I so you can attack this however, however you really want yeah. to attack it. So I'm going to maybe ask it two or three different ways. And, you know, as yeah. as a good politician, you just get to pick the one and then answer whatever you were going to answer anyway. But yeah, so I, I, part of me is thinking that, you know, you have a little bit of a hurdle explaining to a lot of companies, even what you do and yeah. how, how that's an added value. The For second sure. part of that question is kind of, kind of related is, you know, what do, what do companies have to overcome to really see value in your services? What, do, I mean, what do they have to mentally overcome or, or, you know, historic baggage or what do they have to kind of let go of that, that, you know, to move them into the 21st century and say, Hey, you know, you got to understand this. So yeah, kind of understand the background or the, the framework, the question there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I generally understand. Um, so, so to reframe and make sure we're on the same page. Um, for for a business to break out of what they're doing uh, and dig in with us, or understand the opportunity of digging in with us, um, what does the ecosystem need to be
0: for right. them? Is that kind of what you're looking for? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think and um, their understanding. You know, just just what yeah. what frame of mind do they have to bring to the table? I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the the good ones, I think, and we're getting a lot of these lately, are businesses that have been in business for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our most recent clients are seven eight years in business. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing like eight to 10 uh, million a year in sales. Um, but their curve has been like this. Yeah. You know? They're spending a lot of money, but it's profitable. So they keep doing it. Their sales right. team's working, so they keep doing it. Um, meanwhile, they're seeing all these teeny startups that start at 2 million and go to 15. And they're <laughs> like, what are they doing? How do we get involved in this? Like, we have the cash flow. What's the right bet to make? Um, and I think for us, um part of the reason why our, our pitch is so all over the place um is because we come into the conversation to solve the problem. So our pitch is never really about what we do or what we can do. Um it's more we come into a situation where someone has a growth problem. They've been plateaued for a couple of years um, and, and they want to try something new and they're prepared to try something new. Um so our job in, in that first conversation isn't to sell ourselves, it's to convince them that there's a viable path for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth spending a couple months to figure out, if that makes sense.
0: Is it easier to do that because you have kind of a track record? You can say, maybe point to someone else in a similar industry that you've helped or in a similar state that they that they find themselves in? I mean, it's an easier sell.
1: Kind of. I think the big advantage of consulting and for us, we cover the full spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, uh, we manage, um, I think collectively it's like $26 million in, in revenue for e-commerce stores mm-hmm. and we still work on B2B. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: but the tools are kind of the same. Like right. we'll take, um, we have, we have a beauty product store that we work on Um, uh, sells like jewelry, low price jewelry. And we use uh, tactics from that business. Um, on a cybersecurity uh, B2B lead generation project selling into the Fortune 1. Um, It's just things that would never cross-pollinate, but because we see them both and we understand the metrics Mm -hmm. on both, we can borrow from them. Um, And I think when we get into a a discussion, because of that, we can borrow from a lot of things people aren't exposed to. Yeah, the B2B guys get excited about the B2C tactics and vice versa, the B2C guys all look up at the B2B guy.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah. and see themselves as completely different. I mean, they do have different audiences, but I mean, there are business universals. There are, you know, that, yeah. and even from industry to industry, but what, um, and this is, this is a really broad question. I mean, you can kind of take this whatever direction you see, but yeah. what are some of the trends that you're seeing um, developing in this, in this space? And, and what do you, yeah. you how are you seeing some of the businesses transition and, and kind of adapt themselves to, to meet this new normal?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think everyone is getting uh, choked out of advertising. Um, so I think uh, unpack that a little bit. Four or five years ago, um, you know, Facebook started leaning into performance, and um, since then has come to dominate. You know, all of advertising spend. So it was Google and a bunch of little platforms that people would spend money on. Then Facebook came and consumed all of that other budget. So now it's Facebook and Google, I think Facebook's a little bigger. Um, and and today, both of them are increasing their their own revenues and, uh, and profits by squeezing the merchants that they work on,
2: because
1: mm. uh, they have access to all the data. So, you know, for our professional services customer, Google knows exactly how much all their customers are worth, and uh, Facebook knows every cent that our e-commerce stores make. So they can very slowly increase costs and increase costs, and margins just go down. Um, so I think to to succeed, whether it's B two B, B two C. Finding a way to break yourself out of one of those big channels. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amazon's the worst. Amazon controls your entire funnel if you're in there, Um, and and use disparate platforms to reach out at least digitally Um, creates a ton of upside for businesses because the platform only sees a piece of your engagement. Exactly, um, and they have no influence over what you're making.
0: Does that? I mean, that that almost seems like a short-term strategy that could have really long-term detrimental. You know, effect on Facebook or or Google if you if you continue to you know it's like the the old adage you know don't bite the hand that feeds you. If you yeah. just keep squeezing your your client base, I would think they're just going to shrink because you're, yeah. you're, in essence you're just lowering their margins. You know, over yeah. time and and it's I mean it's it's a it's, more, it's difficult enough to to make money and generate revenue, especially with high taxes and high costs and inflation and all the things that are, that yeah. are and competition that are bombarding. You know, companies today. I mean, it almost seems like that's a that's a that's a really bad long term strategy. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mean, I think on the one hand, they acknowledge that they're not going to be around for another 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Jeff Bezos says the same thing all the time. Um, like, maybe we'll make it thirty years. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is um, they fought so long. Like in Facebook's case, they fought twenty years to figure out a way to make money. And, now they're trying to make as much of it as they can while they can. Yep. Um, Google Google's a little different. Google wants to know everyone's info. Uh, so it's not necessarily about what they're doing today. Um, but I think the benefit is you have these offshoot companies that just crush it. Um, like um, I, I'd say Pinterest is today where Facebook was six years ago. Mm. Um, you know, they don't understand what their ROI is yet. So it's super cheap to advertise and mm-hmm. you have alternative advertising channels um, coming live and then on the actual human side of business, um, suddenly it's really cool to be a face-to-face salesperson again. You know, we went through this programmatic wave where everyone had you know, automation platforms and CRMs that did all this stuff for you. Um, and suddenly picking up the phone is awesome. Like people are sick of cold email. They want a, exactly. they want a phone call to talk to yep. someone. Um, so it's, it's cool to see how it bleeds out into these new areas.
0: So this is a this is a question completely off off topic here, but but uh, yeah. I mean you're really good at responding to my crazy line of questioning, so I, <laughs> I really want to give you kudos here. But so it's I've got this theory that uh, you know email has been around for so long and been so consistent. What yeah. is what does email 2.0 look like in your opinion? What is uh, the next iteration of email?
1: Okay, so I'm going to plug a company that I promised a testimonial to and never wrote it um so these are you're a mac guy because we had our, our facetime issue but they're called spike mail um and what they're doing is they're they're I launching them
0: yes oh
1: it's <laughs> not the me best and th- Me and three other
0: people <laughs> no. uh, i haven't transitioned completely because i it's still it's so unique but i love the concept go ahead and okay. unpack it sorry
1: yeah yeah so i mean it was conversational email right yeah it's it's true threading it's based on the human um, it's very easy to see who said what. It organizes itself fast, searches blazingly fast. Yep. Um, yeah, I, have, I have nine operational email addresses in it, and it's just as fast as having one. Um, but I, I think that's where email goes on the client side.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't think the tech is dead, though. I think the actual system is going to continue to be the bedrock of business for at least another decade. Um, it's it's kind of foolproof. Your text is there. Your yeah. history is there. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's going to be tough to disrupt that one. Text won't replace it.
0: Yeah, And that it, that really is is kind of text mess- or you know messaging meets email in yeah. in the you know that new platform you talked about. But uh, yeah, yeah I'm I'm just interested to, to hear kind of what the what your thoughts are on the you know the, the next iteration because it really has been consistent for what twenty five years. I mean, yeah. almost thirty. I mean, but it really works. I mean, it. Platform.
1: It's a utility. I think Facebook is a utility too. There'll always be a Facebook. It won't be the advertising platform it is today, but um, you know, I don't think we'll ever stop using that as the way to see what our friends are doing.
0: Be um, careful. I mean, there are a lot of people banked on MySpace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they
1: were never they were never utility. Like my <laughs> on um, But I'll tell you, you know, you want to talk about disruption? We're we're actually working on this project. Um, It's not fully public. It will be in like a month or two. Uh, But these guys figured out a way to totally disrupt the digital commerce ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a couple companies in the space. This one's by far the furthest along, Um, but they're going to change the way uh, like the foundation of the internet works in a commerce sense. Uh, Meaning like you will no longer have to navigate to buy things when you decide to buy something, you'll be able to buy it right away. Um, So this, you know, this is just like the dog reference earlier, running into the uh, yeah. the gap in the wall because it's the only thing you know. Yeah. I mean, you never think about this, but today if you want to buy something online, you got to click through nine different things mm-hmm. to go to a cart and then enter your info and no one talks to each other. So your info is entered in 19 different places. It's super inefficient, but it's still a trillion dollars in spend every year. Um, what these guys are saying is like, okay, there's, there's four or five pockets of the internet that people buy in today. But browsing is like 98% on other sites and other platforms and other properties. What if we take the commerce and put it there and create something super secure, mobile, um, like a hashed identity so you're not entering information all the time uh, and make it as easy to shop across the internet as it is to shop across a mall. Um, so that's, that's coming soon. I think that's going to be the next boom that, that'll change the way we buy stuff kind of like it, kind game. of
0: in the i mean and I'm, I'm using these terms you know in a highly uneducated manner so i mean there's that that caveat but is that almost like yeah. a blockchain technology applied to oh yeah oh yeah so i mean kind of the distributed you know for security purposes it's almost like a, a blue ocean i mean we're going to spread this out far enough that our security really is in our dispersion you know yeah thing. so yeah, uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, appreciate that—that that affirmation that that this old man is not completely lost in, in <laughs> no, the tech you're, space, So you're following.
1: It. I think that what what blockchain and cryptography are going to do for like security mm-hmm. um, and identity is is going to be huge. Uh, it's it's Barely scratching the
0: surface today. Yeah, no, no question. No question. But I did, I am losing money on Ethereum. So, uh, <laughs> other than that, <laughs> I, yeah, I, it, I kind of have a, a blockchain bad taste in my mouth right now, but yeah. or crypto bad, bad taste. But let's, uh, let's transition a little bit here, take a little, little deeper dive. I'm just, just kind of want to get in your head a little bit more and just from a personal standpoint, just, is there somebody like online that uh, that you would really look to that has kind of you know been a little further down the road? You said that that's really somebody that, that has inspired me. Yeah. Um does it does it count if it's super cheesy? You could pick, <laughs> hey, this is your space, this is your show. You pick whoever you want to. It, it, yeah. it could be Wonder so, Dog for all I care. You know? So this is, I mean, I'm gonna justify
1: this. Uh, there's gonna be some eye rolling though, but um, I'm I'm a huge Elon Musk fan. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and it, it's awesome to see. Well, this is why, right? Um, he started with payments. He started with PayPal, and now he's moving the entire world into space. Um, what's What's admirable about him um, is is he he feels the need to change things and has mm-hmm. the willpower to try, um, and he doesn't really wait for permission. You know, so I think that ties back to our business. Um, you know, we're we're helping open doors into new spaces by. Um, you know, having the courage to try. Yeah. Um, but I think um, you know one one thing I've I've learned I guess over the course of this business um, is that the the greatest wins are like right on the other side of like failure and I've got, mm. you know, mistakes. Um, and I think once you realize that pushing through isn't so hard. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you know looking at him you know it helps you see what it can lead to. Right. Everyone says you're not going to land a rocket, and he lands a rocket on a barge. Yeah. Uh, you know, makes electric car company that is consumable and everywhere. Like, he's doing these things because he's charging through. And, um, you know, when I, I want to give up because there's really like small obstacles in the grand scheme of things in front of me. It's easy to say, all right, you didn't quit. I got to
0: keep going. I mean, what's he doing now with the kind of the low orbit internet technology? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, we're going to have, you know, high speed internet globally, you know, because i want to send up 20,000 satellites or whatever. So, it, you know, in kind of low orbit, it. but... Yeah it's a, it's what is the the adage that says you know it's it's not how many times you fail it's it's how many times you get up and and try right. again or something like that and and he does have you know he really has that resolute um you know that dogged mentality that just says uh, you know I, I'm going to try we're going to continue to do this continue to try so yeah i i uh, no apologies no no caveats on him i i think that uh a lot of people could see. I mean, sure, he's done dumb things and failed, and <laughs> will continue to. But you know, um, he is out there. You know, putting himself out there and trying for sure. So, um, yeah. is there a quote that you know you kind of look at every day and got taped up on your MacBook there, and you know, that just says, "Hey, this is the thing I got to read every day to kind of get me back in the, in that flow yeah. mindset." So,
1: yeah. So this, I mean, this is actually from a. a he's become a, a friend of mine and a mentor. Uh, his name is Brandon Ansell. He wrote a book called The Next Right Thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I, actually, I met Brandon, I was on networking sites when I started consulting. And I, I met him like my first week full time away from in-house. Uh, uh, from and um, that's, I mean, that's what we talked about. We spent a half an hour talking about how growing businesses isn't about getting it all right or having your plan bulletproof or um, even finding the right people. It's about optimizing your time. Um, and I think that's what his book about is about, like always, you know, focusing on the next right thing. Um, I mean, mean, this is where the the dog analogy is perfect. It's, it's easy to bury yourself in things or bury yourself in work and, you know, put your head down and ignore something that you really should be dealing with. Um, but if you make a point like every day to start with like, what's the most valuable thing for me to do now? Mm -hmm. Um, like, what do we need? It's amazing how efficient your time can be used uh, you know, you can grow things
0: real fast that way. Sure. Is that kind of the idea to eat the frog, you know, I've heard that it's a, it's a, and I, I don't, I, I cannot remember who said that, but you know, it's, it is taking the most important task of the day. It's, it's, you know, you, the first thing you do is you eat that frog that, that is in front of you. <laughs> that, that is, you know, the thing that most distasteful, the most difficult oh, yeah. the thing you want to put off to the end of the day or keep hitting snooze on the calendar. So it goes to tomorrow type thing, but you eat the frog, but it really is. It's kind of like the, the one thing, you know, the book talks about, I mean, what is that one thing or that, you know, the, the most important tasks kind of, you know, Charles Duhigg's getting things done. I mean, what are the most important things you can do that, that have the highest ROI, you know, yeah. that uh, are really aiming at the revenue side of things. So. Um, are you,
1: are you following the, um, the Jordan Peterson drama in, uh, in Canada?
0: um be more specific because i mean he there's a lot of things that could fall into that category because i mean he's been pretty prominent for you know the last 18 months or so
1: yeah yeah well, i mean just just recently like i think um you know with i mean just just recently in general he's he's in the press all the time he's uh espousing his like believe in self thing but i honestly i didn't know who the guy was i i saw memes about him until mm-hmm. literally this morning mm-hmm. um but uh, I, I saw the video um, from one of his class lectures where he's talking to the students about uh, time and efficiency in particular. Um, and he, he breaks down for someone like how many hours they spend per day on YouTube and what that could mean for them financially if they put it into something <laughs> productive. Um, you know, and I try, to, I try to think about that with, um, with the business, like i could spend a ton of time working on one campaign for one project or i could spend time meeting five new people
0: and, exactly you know, yep. what's
1: going to produce more
0: right and those are things you just you kind of learn over time and you kind of refine your processes and you know as as you get in there so this yeah. is uh we're, we're kind of you know winding down here but i we're we're aiming at the the part of the the interview that i really liked it because i just get to sit back and kind of listen but it it's an area of, of the of the chat that we call the Rising Tide Micro Course, and this is a chance where you know you're the professor, you're Jordan Peterson right now. So, oh, no. Oh, no, take the, take the next <laughs> few minutes and and uh, you know just just touch on two or three you know really key points on on something that is in kind of your area of expertise, but that you think would be really helpful for somebody kind of in the startup space. So, yeah, 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 you got the you got uh, the
1: mic. Sure. So I'm, I'm looking at my notes here cause I had a couple of things that I wanted to share. So, so um, embracing the unconventional is, um, is huge. I think um, we, we make a lot of hay and it's, it's nothing brilliant. It's just the fact that someone wouldn't think to try something outside of their box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, people respond to human things. I'll start with an example. Um, we were trying to drive user adoption for a network um, with, with an audience that did, is literally trained not to join networks. Like their, their job is not to expose their information, which seems like an impossible thing. Um, you know, so we spent six months trying to get the messaging right, like the language right, and explaining, this is what we are, here's how valuable we are, here's why you wanna be a part of this, here are our benefits. Um, and one day, uh, frustrated on a Saturday, I put a, a picture of a really obese guy holding five pizzas live. Um, and we had 50,000 people sign up over the next two weeks um and it's just why would that work but there was something relatable about that image that totally changed the game for us mm. um we had another one um so with with the consulting company we launched this uh this fitness business and um th- it's a huge category massive business category uh, b2b and b2c side and mm-hmm. uh, we thought it was going to be all about self-help and self-improvement and empowerment and and motivation and um vegetables are what made the the company go crazy. For some reason, when people saw food, they wanted to be a part of this business. Um, You know, those are just visual examples, but um, the the underlying theme is um, what's going to work for you isn't something you can engineer with a lot of thought. Um, You need data, you need to test, and the broader you test, like the more you're exposed to and the greater your chances are uh, of finding something truly different. Um, because today, you know, everyone can make noise. You can spend five bucks online and reach tens of thousands of people if you want to. Um, so everyone has the same reach you do. Your ability to drive business and uh, create opportunity to grow and, uh, and sell more um, lies in your ability to connect on a different level and create an opportunity to transact. Um, so that's, that's the advice. Try something new and different. Um, try it a lot. Uh, you'll be surprised what you find.
0: And what a what a great, concise uh, micro course and and let me let me do a rough, kind of a rough rehash. I mean, as as, as I was listening to you, I mean, it was, you know, test, test often test broadly, yeah. hear what your clients are saying and, and be able to respond based on those. It's 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 more than a B testing. It really is just kind of data driven, you know, yeah. strategy at the end of the day, it, was, that, was that a good synopsis of what you were, you were getting at?
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's a great synopsis. I, uh, I cringe at data driven because everyone says they are and no one really is. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, definitely uh, measure everything you can, uh, really react to it and, uh, and feed the machine. You'll be surprised what it'll show you.
0: Well, that, that, is, uh, that is an amazing because it is so applicable to, to virtually anything. I mean, as long as you can get good metrics, as long as you can get good, you know, data that, that would, that would support, you know, what you've tried and you're monitoring that data, you know, that, that is, it's almost foolproof because I mean, we can go on gut instinct and we can go on guesswork and we can go on every other, you know, every other measuring, you know, I guess variable out there, but you know data is kind of impersonal. I mean, it's, it, it <laughs> has no stake in the game. It's just, it's just responding to the question that you've asked. So um, yeah. I, I really love that. And, and just like, like I said, it, it is so applicable to virtually anybody at any stage as they're listening.
1: That's the quote of the podcast. Data has no stake in the game. That's, that's real. <laughs> that, that should be the, the point of advice. That's, that's a good one
0: you're free to use that and copyright You can make t-shirts for your team tomorrow that's right i have yeah i have no stake in that game either that's exactly yeah. right that is not copyrighted so and as we wrap up today is there is there anything that we haven't touched on that that uh you would love to love to uh to tell our audience or just you share with us or
1: yeah yeah no, i mean this this has been a ton of fun uh talking to you we covered a lot yeah uh, a lot more than i expected to i think um I love digging into new ideas. Um we're we're in growth mode again. We just hired a bunch of people. Um so looking for more ideas. If if anyone wants to chat, um have a conversation or see under the hood how we operate, uh connect with me. It's just Nick and ICK at pinchforth.com. Um fire away. We'll be here.
0: All right. Well, we will certainly have those in the show notes and Nick, it is, it's been a true pleasure having you on the show today. And, and uh, man, I could I could just keep asking follow-up questions all day long. But, uh, you know, I'm going to let you get into your weekend here. But I, I really appreciate you on a late at, late Friday afternoon taking time to touch base with us and just really playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Nick, thanks again. Thanks so much, Texan.